Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia, the Agora Podcast Network's spooktacular month of ghoulishly engaging content celebrating the spirit of the Halloween season. So turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under the beds, and continue if you dare. Greetings, friends. You are well met. We gather here today again in observance of the rites of October for another episode of Agoraphobia. We have hunted down a brace of podcasters, truly the world's most dangerous game and extracted from each stories that will satiate your hunger for the malicious and the malevolent. First, we hear from Kristen of the History Cash podcast, who tells us of forcibly removed remains in the story of The Screaming Mummies. It is officially Halloween season. That means it's time for history to get a bit spooky. I'm your host, Kristen Robine-Terpstra from the History Cash podcast, and if you're in the mood for something weird, I've got you covered. So, let's talk about mummies. Specifically, the screaming mummies of Guanajuato. Guanajuato, Mexico, as it is today, was established in 1679, mainly due to rapid settlement by the Spanish upon the discovery of some lucrative silver mines, which are still among the richest in the world today. But people have been living in what is now Guanajuato for much longer. A large population of maize-growing peoples lived there between 500 and 200 BCE, and it's believed these people eventually evolved into the pyramid-building Teotihuacan culture, which, at its peak in 600 CE, had up to 200,000 inhabitants, making it one of the largest urban centers in the ancient world. Fast forward about 1,400 years, and we have the city of Guanajuato in the state of Guanajuato, Mexico. 
This was the birthplace of famous artist Diego Rivera, husband to the brilliant artist Frida Kahlo. It's a vibrant city, famous for its many festivals held each year. But in 1833, something truly awful happened to the people of Guanajuato. A cholera outbreak devastated the city. Bodies were buried quickly in an attempt to halt the spread of the disease. Cholera is a particularly nasty bacterium. It's a single-celled microscopic organism that works its way into the small intestine, causing an infection that dehydrates the victim so rapidly and severely that death can occur in a matter of hours. And it's a brutal death. Fever, vomiting, and severe diarrhea can cause someone to lose almost six and a half gallons, or 24 liters of fluid, a day. It spreads through contaminated water and food, and quickly, causing mass outbreaks. Today, the World Health Organization estimates there are between 1.3 to 4 million cases of cholera infections each year, causing between 21,000 and 143,000 deaths. Not that long ago, that yearly death count was in the millions. So people were dying in Guanajuato, and fast, quickly filling up the graveyards. And by 1865, a local graveyard tax had been implemented, which took its toll on the poor. If a family wished for their deceased loved one to remain buried, they had to pay, or the body of their loved one would be evicted from its grave. If a family was unable to pay the tax for three years in a row, their relative was disinterred. This tax stayed implemented until 1958. But what does any of this have to do with mummies? Well, something strange happened in 1865, when workers opened the grave of Remigio Leroy, expecting to find another decayed body stripped of flesh and reduced to bone. They found a mummy instead. Then they began to find more of them, Around 2% of the bodies they disinterred had been naturally mummified. The mummy count, by the time the grave tax was outlawed in 1958, was 111. Normally, when someone dies, the bacteria on, in, and around the person immediately begins to break their body down. If bacteria is allowed to naturally decompose the body, all you really have left is the skeleton in a few months to a few years, depending on how the body is buried. Embalming slows the process of decomposition down, as does being buried six feet under, whether unembalmed or not, in a casket. For years, people were uncertain as to how these 111 people had been naturally mummified. Natural mummification does happen more often than you'd think, usually because a body has been dried out in a naturally arid region. This is how the first ancient Egyptians began mummification, before they mastered it in subsequent millennia. They would leave the body in a dry area and just let the desert do its work. Natural mummification can also occur if a body freezes after death. This happened with the famous Utzi, the Iceman, who was found frozen in the Alps 5,000 years after he was murdered there, in what just may be history's oldest cold case. 
Bodies placed in peat bogs naturally mummify too, as the bog acids that have about the same pH levels as vinegar pickle the body when those acids saturate the tissues before decay can set in. All over northern Europe, there have been bog body discoveries. The oldest comes from Denmark, dated to 8000 BCE. Many of these bog bodies meant a violent end, leading archaeologists to determine they were possibly criminals who were strangled or even beheaded, then thrown into the bog, or that they were possibly even victims of human sacrifice. Forensic anthropologists examined the Guanajuato mummies in 2007. It was determined that their mummification happened in part because the environment in Guanajuato allows this to occur naturally. The bodies that were buried in above-ground cement crypts had released moisture almost immediately into the dry air and their cement or wooden coffins. This greatly slowed their decomposition process. The anthropologists also found signs of partial embalming on some of the mummies, including organ removal, which would have slowed decomposition even further. When the Guanajuato cemetery workers noticed how well-preserved these bodies were, they began storing them in an ossuary in case their families could eventually come up with enough money to have them reinterred. By 1894, the bodies had really started piling up, and the workers began charging admission, allowing curious patrons to view the bodies. The families who couldn't afford to have their loved ones reburied received no monetary recompense for their relatives being put on display. The only way they would have been able to visit the grave of a loved one would have been to pay the few pesos for admission and see them lined up next to other disinterred bodies. Although the grave tax was abolished in 1958, the museum containing the bodies continues to operate, and it's a huge tourist attraction today, with most of the original mummies still in the possession of the museum. Some call them the Screaming Mummies of Guanajuato because their faces are distorted and twisted with gaunt expressions, with many of them still wearing the now-tattered clothing they were buried in. It was believed for years that the terrifying grimaces of these mummies was due to them having been buried alive. Popular thought was that in their haste to bury cholera victims to prevent the spreading of the disease, the living had inadvertently buried people before they had actually died. We know now this is not the case. These truly horrific facial expressions are the result of natural post-mortem processes. It's just part of how our bodies break down. One mummy in particular that was believed for some time to have fallen victim to the dreadful fate of being buried alive was Ignacia Aguilar, she had reportedly suffered from an illness that made it seem as if her heart had stopped beating on several occasions. It's said that on one of these occasions, her heart had appeared to stop its beating for a full day. Believing her to be dead, her family had her buried. When she was disinterred because her family couldn't afford the graveyard tax, her body was found face down as if she had tried pushing up on her coffin lid with her back to escape. Rumor said she had bitten her arm and that blood was found in her mouth. The anthropologists who examined her in 2007 were incredulous, but couldn't make any final determination about her specific case with only their cursory examination. 
famous American author Ray Bradbury once visited the museum and immediately afterwards wrote his short story, The Next in Line. This is a fictitious tale of a husband and wife who go to visit the mummies of Guanajuato. The woman becomes so afraid and paranoid that the mummies are coming for her, haunting her, that she becomes convinced she's going to die. She makes her husband promise not to leave her there if she does, and he agrees, finding his wife's paranoia irksome and childish, almost humorous. But at the end of the story, as the husband is driving back home, the car seat next to him is empty. Bradbury later wrote of his experience with the mummies, saying, quote, The experience so wounded and terrified me I could hardly wait to flee Mexico. I had nightmares about dying and having to remain in the halls of the dead with those propped and wired bodies. In order to purge my terror, instantly I wrote the next in line, one of the few times that an experience yielded results almost on the spot." The story of the Guanajuato mummies is a truly heartbreaking one, and when I look at the pictures of their twisted faces and hands reposed as if in prayer or arms crossed as if clutching themselves for all eternity, I can't help but feel a sense of sadness for who they had been, how they died, and the way they have come to be on display. If you decide to go see these mummies, or look at the many pictures available on the internet, be warned. They just may haunt you, like they've haunted the dreams of so many before. Happy Halloween. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Next, we hear from Trevor from the History of Persia podcast, who sweeps aside the sands of time to reveal the hand that rocks the cradle of civilization in the tale of the accursed.
Hello, everyone. This is Trevor Cully of the History of Persia. Ancient Persian history, and the history of Iran writ large, is full of cataclysms and disasters. And their myths and legends feature terrifying monsters to be slain by larger-than-life heroes. Yet, in part because we are pretty dependent on outside sources, the scariest and spookiest parts kind of fall by the wayside. Even when you turn to mythology, all the great monsters are ultimately defeated by the forces of good. They're good stories, but not spooky. It's kind of a side effect of the Zoroastrian religion. Everything is about how good has to win in the end. The creation of the world? A way for good to beat bad. The end of the world? Same deal. Basically everything in the middle? You get the idea. But there is one thing. I want to tell you a story from Zoroastrian history and legend. A story about demons and a monster they created. In the beginning, before there were heavens or an earth, there was Ahura Mazda, the great god of the Zoroastrian tradition. Ahura Mazda began creating new beings and places. First came the Yazadas, good divinities to aid Ahura Mazda in his task. Then came everything else. There was the House of Songs, the beautiful heaven inhabited by Ahura Mazda, the Yazadas, and everything good. And also the material world, that is, the earth, and everything we can interact with as little tiny mortal humans. Then came plants, water, soil, and all the other things that fill up our space before finally arriving at Kiamars, the first living creature, neither male nor female, neither human nor animal. But in a shadowy corner of the uncreated universe, one of Ahura Mazda's creations grew evil and resentful, hating everything that Ahura Mazda loved. This was Ahriman, who you might want to think of as the Zoroastrian devil. Ahriman began to twist and corrupt the divinities that Ahura Mazda had created, turning them into evil beings called Daiva to corrupt and destroy everything in creation. They inhabited the House of Lies, Zoroastrian Hell. Araman sent one of these Daiva to kill Kayamars. But when the deed was done, Ma, the goddess of the moon, swept down and poured Kayamars' essence all across the earth, giving rise to humans and animals. Enraged and forever hateful, Araman and the Daivas made it their mission to corrupt all of these new creations, setting monsters and pests loose on the world and seeking to destroy human beings by leading them astray. When one of these new humans proved his devotion to the path of righteousness and fought bitterly against Araman's monsters, Ahura Mazda gave him kingship over the whole world. 
Over time, other humans were corrupted and led away from Ahura Mazda, but the descendants of this first king and their people continued to live in and rule Iran for 3,160 years, with just 20 years of punishment when one of them got a little too greedy. Kedara, the son of Dara, was just the latest in this long line of devout and blessed monarchs. He ruled from a grand palace in the city of Istakar in Persia. More than 200 years before Dara's time, Ahura Mazda had come down to the earth and sent his Yazadas down to speak with the prophet Zoroaster and provide him with the strict guidance needed to follow the one true religion. But in all the time since then, nobody had ever written it down, only passing along prayers and traditions through oral memorization. Being a righteous king, Dara commanded his priests and scribes to write down the entirety of the Avesta, the core of Zoroastrian scripture, on oxhides using golden ink. Likewise, he commanded them to write down all of the commentaries composed by priests over the years to interpret Ahura Mazda's commandments and Zoroaster's teachings. But far away to the west, there was another king, the king of Rum and Egypt. This was Gizestag Iskandar, a conqueror ruling the descendants of people who had been led astray long ago by various daiva who they worshipped as gods. Yet, Iskandar was not evil in his own right just yet. It was only after he arrived in Egypt that Araman saw his potential. The great evil spirit dispatched one of his favorite daiva, Ashmog, a demon handcrafted by Araman himself to lead mankind into apostasy and destroy the Zoroastrian faith. Ashmog went to Iskandar and corrupted him, turning his eyes toward Iran with all the hatred and evil of Araman himself. So Iskandar came, leading a terrible horde of armored soldiers from the west and riding on a ferocious black stallion, as if it were Kunda, the diva that took the shape of a demonic horse in order to carry evil sorcerers. They cut through Dara's empire. As he went, Iskandar extinguished the sacred fires that made Ahura Mazda's presence felt on earth. He rounded up every priest he could find, every teacher of religious law, and every learned nobleman. To the one... They were murdered by Gizestag Iskandar and his army. And even then, Iskandar would not stop. He rode to Istakher, the capital, and murdered all of the leading families of Iran who he found. The Ruman army destroyed the great city, and still possessed by Ashmog, Iskandar sought to complete the destruction of both Iran and Zoroastrianism. He seized the 1,200 oxhides with the Avesta and its commentary. The commentaries were sent back to Rum as a trophy, and the Avesta itself was burned to ash. 
Then he began to sow discord throughout Iran. Kedara had fled, accompanied by his most loyal nobles. But Iskandar began courting the nobility, encouraging them to join him, and these men turned against the rightful king selected by their god. Dara was beheaded, and the head was taken to Iskandar as a trophy. However, rather than rewarding his allies, Iskandar had these nobles tied to trees. The Ruman army fired arrows into them as Iskandar declared that this was the fate for anyone who tried to kill a king. But the demon-possessed king of Rum had no intention of remaining in Iran. He killed anyone who could serve as a competent leader, and then divided the land up between ninety petty despots. He told each that the others were scheming against them. Then, with Iran fractured and destroyed, Gizestag Iskandar and his terrifying black steed departed riding away until they entered hell, the domain of those evil spirits ruled by Araman, where they tortured people who they themselves had corrupted until the end of time. Back in the mortal world, Iran was plunged into 284 years of chaos, as the despots Iskandar had left behind warred against one another with no regard for Ahura Mazda or his righteous religion. After nearly three centuries, the great king Ardashir of the House of Sasan rose up and conquered them all. This was to be the beginning of the slow process of returning Iran to its former glory. But it was not to be. Gizestag Iskandar had destroyed too much and sowed too much chaos across the land. Only a small number of priests and teachers who knew some scripture by heart found refuge in Drangiana, near the center of the country. There they put the pieces they had back together, but much of the Avesta was lost forever, never to be recovered. In the intervening centuries, the knowledge of how to read the writings of the ancient kings was lost entirely leaving great monuments and ancient wisdom etched in stone, but nobody who could understand them. The glorious past was gone forever. It's quite the story. Would you believe me if I said it was true? Well, at least a little true. I'm sure some people have guessed already. But this is the story of Alexander the Great, as told in the Zoroastrian religious tradition of the later Sassanid Empire and medieval Iran. More accurately, it's a composite I drew together from brief summaries of Alexander in half a dozen books from those eras. Dara is Darius III. Gizestag Iskandar means Alexander the Accursed, in Middle Persian literature, Rum, a.k.a. Rome, is a generic name for the great power to the west, so it subs in for Macedon. Istakher, the Sassanid capital just up the road from the ruins of Persepolis, stands in for the original Persian capital city, which was 
itself identified with another legendary king called Jamshid. But nobody can really accuse the Sassanid Persians and the medieval authors that followed them of having a firm grasp on Iran's ancient history. For one thing, the entire Achaemenid Empire, the great Persian force that had ruled the known world, invaded and nearly conquered Greece, and fell to Alexander III of Macedon, was basically forgotten. Darius III was remembered for his connection to Alexander, but none of the Achaemenids are really represented in later Zoroastrian histories. They also only allot 284 years to the time between Alexander and the first Sassanid king, Ardashir I, essentially deleting everything from Alexander's death down to about 60 BCE. There's zero evidence for religious writing of any kind in the Old Persian language, but written or memorized, knowledge of large swaths of the Avesta were lost, and they were traditionally preserved by priests and teachers memorizing it all by rote. If Alexander was killing priests, that would certainly explain where it all went. But more importantly than anything about historical fact versus fiction, these stories represent how Alexander the Great was remembered by the Zoroastrian faithful. While he is remembered in the West as a heroic conqueror, the people of Iran never forgot the damage that his supposed heroism had done to their land. And for that, he would forever be Alexander the Accursed a monster forged by the forces of hell themselves. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back and a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe, and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads. But those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back like a moth drawn to the flame for the next installment of Agoraphobia. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.